This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 258. I have them to thank for helping me scale the way I did. And then that's probably how I got from one to three to six to now 12. We've been doubling year over year pretty much. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, your host of today's Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my guest co host, Scott Trench. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. How you doing, Brandon? Good. I'm I'm actually really good. You know, the holiday season is upon us. Uh, we're recording this here a few weeks before the Christmas holiday, but obviously this comes out right before Christmas. And, uh, you know, got the tree up, went to the tree farm, got lights on it. You know, my house looks like something out of like country living now. It's fun. Awesome. Well, I live in a, uh, ba- the, the bottom half of a duplex, so I'm going to use that as an excuse not to decorate this year. <laughs> You're not going to get a tree? <laughs> Come on. No, I think my, I think my girlfriend will make it, make it a tree. As I a was just going to so. say, I bet your girlfriend will bring over a tree if you don't, because yeah. I don't know. Very cool. All right. Well, get a, get a tree and I'll send you a present to put under it. Deal? Ah, awesome. Yeah. I would, I would love a present from you, Brandon. All right. I'm going to send you one. I need some, I need some new socks. <laughs> I was thinking something a little more educational, like a book or something, but you know, I'll send you some socks. Have you ever heard of darn tough socks? Too. I think they're called darn tough. Have you mm-hmm. heard of them? Yeah, uh, no. a friend told me about them last Christmas and I, I, I ordered a pair and they were like the best socks I've ever had in my life. And they're like expensive. They're like 20 bucks a pair, but they were so comfortable. I'm actually wearing them right now at this moment. And I asked my wife, I said, all I want for Christmas is like a 10 pairs of darn tough socks. So check them out. Huh. Well, I can already <laughs> hear our listeners thinking, wow, this conversation sucks. So let's move on and talk about let's... our guest a little bit here. So. <laughs> all right. So today's show. Our guest today yeah, is go ahead, Gabe De Silva. That's true. Uh, Gabe is a flipper, or more accurately, he adds levels to properties like ranchers and stuff. Some people call it pop top. And he has got a thriving business and was a really knowledgeable guy about a lot of different topics. It seems like he's really taken opportunities to expand his business and build it out in lots of different creative ways and really just a good business and systems thinker. Brandon actually got dinner with Gabe uh, a few months ago and completely (laughs) forgot him. We had a really awkward moment in the middle of the show. Uh, he did remember a like giant cookie that he ate at, yes. at the restaurant that he was with, with Gabe, but he totally forgot him. So. Yeah, the backstory is, so before the show, Mindy, Mindy Jensen, who's Bigger Pockets community manager, is like prepping it. I get on the call with Gabe and Mindy's like, okay, Brandon, this is Gabe. And I'm like, hey, Gabe, nice to meet you. And Mindy's like, hey, do you guys, have you guys ever met before? And I was like, I don't think so. I mean, you kind of look familiar. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I met you real quick. And like, we just kind of moved on. And then in the middle of the show, all of a sudden, it, like, it just occurred to me. I know this guy. We had dinner for like four hours together. And (laughs) yeah, anyway, that was fun. So if you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, 
like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day. 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You know what we skipped today? We did not do our quick tip. Quick tip. All right, y'all. If you're listening to this podcast the week that it comes out, it is almost Christmas. So here's your gift. If you want to read more in 2018 or listen to more audiobooks and you're thinking about becoming a pro member on biggerpockets.com, well, now you can do both and save big with our little holiday promotion. Go to biggerpockets.com slash pro upgrade and then add on the digital book package there. You'll see it there. You'll get unlimited access to the Bigger Pockets analysis tools and all those other cool pro features. Plus, you'll get eight of the best real estate uh, ebooks and audiobooks on the planet that we've published, and you'll save a few hundred bucks in the process. So use code HAPPY2018. That's H A P P Y. 2018, no spaces when you upgrade. And oh, by the way, this expires 11.59 p.m. on New Year's Eve. So jump in now. That's awesome. With that, let's get on to today's show. So uh, Scott already brought in our guest or talked about our guest. So I'm not going to go any longer. Let's just bring him in. All right, Gabe, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How you doing? Good, man. Just uh, fighting a cold, but excited to be on the show. Yeah, well, if you sneeze and stuff, you know, it'll just be awkward for everybody. (laughs) All right. So uh, we want to talk to you today about your flipping primarily. You've been doing a lot of cool stuff out there. Where are you in New Jersey, right? Yep. New Jersey. Do you have a good accent? Can you, can you do a New Jersey accent? No, I don't. Do I have an accent? It'll <laughs> probably come through. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll hear it. I want to know hey, if you guys, while listening to this, if you think he has a good accent, let us know over on like the show notes or something. Uh, Please comment in your thickest New Jersey accent. Yes. <laughs> All right. So why don't we just start with your story? Where did you, I mean, how did you get started with real estate? What'd you do before that? And how'd you get into it? What was your first deal like? Uh, so I've been at it about 
a little over three years. I got started in the business after having a handful of finance jobs. I was got uh, laid off three times in 18 months working Whoa. in financial services uh, during the crisis, especially. And I realized then that I needed to be the master of my own destiny. So went into business for myself. My first foray into entrepreneurship was, uh, was food service. So I had a restaurant for a little over four years, did that. Uh, that ran its course. I actually sold out of that business and I got into this. And uh, first deal was a cosmetic rehab. Did really well with it. Actually pulled money out of a 401k to do my first deal and just got the ball rolling. And here we are three years later. All right, so I'm going to talk about that. The first thing is, uh, if you don't mind me, Scott, kind of taking the lead here. I know you're the official host today, but I want to know about 401k stuff because, you know, that, that is an option for people. They can pull money out of a four. Well, what does that mean and how does that work? Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, what I actually did with it is I, uh, I rolled it into a self-directed IRA. So I did the 401k rollout into a self-directed IRA and then used those funds to do my first flip. Because if you self-direct your IRA, obviously you could invest in anything, Bitcoin, gold bars, any, anything you choose. Obviously in a 401k, you couldn't do that. You'd have to take the early withdrawal penalty. So we did it the other way, put it into a, with a custodian, uh, an IRA custodian. And those are the funds I put to work on that very first deal. So I've got a question here. So you've got this, you got a 401k and you liquidate it or you, you move it into self-directed IRA to begin working on it with real estate funds. But your goal, I believe, was to go ahead and sustain your lifestyle, you know, take control of your own destiny. What was your plan going into this to take out that money and fund your lifestyle? Yes, yeah, so it was it was tough at first. Uh, I actually started out of a, a 400 square foot garage. So that's where I was living when I did this. So after I sold out of my first business, the little money I did get out of that is what I used to sustain my lifestyle. Had a very obviously minimalistic lifestyle working out of a out of a garage apartment and slowly but surely built one deal into two, into 10, into 20. And fortunately I was able to, uh, to move out of that place. But yeah, that was, that was the idea. I was willing to sacrifice at first to get there. That's cool. Yeah. And we talk about a lot about that. Scott talks about it. And Scott wrote a book called set for life, right? And the whole book, well, I don't know. I'm not going to paraphrase the whole book in one sentence, but like the book is largely about like what you can do now to set yourself up for a life of financial independence. Uh, is that a good summary, Scott? You want to correct sure, me? Sure. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's how to go from zero to financial, financial freedom. But, for, but I mean, as far as your story here goes, I mean, you had this 401k, you, what I, I guess what my question is more is well, the funds were in there. So were you just planning, Oh, I'm just going to pay the tax or pay the penalty and then withdraw those funds after I've done a couple of these deals to then fund my lifestyle? Or were you planning on, were you trying to, to simultaneously build that 401k, the wealth inside there and the wealth inside yep. of, or outside of that with a flipping business? Yep. That's exactly right. Build them both simultaneously. At first it was just, what am I going to do? How am I going to get started? And I was willing, it's just like you said, uh, you know, sacrifice the way few would now. So you could live how most can't later. Yeah. That, that was the idea. So I didn't need much, like I said, super minimalistic lifestyle. Didn't cost me much. The money out of the 401k that's, that's how I got started there. And what little I did have from the sale of the restaurant business kept me going living expenses wise. And, and yeah, it's just like you said, I started building them in parallel and now the flipping business is doing well enough that it kicks off, you know, the cash I need to live. So just to, to, to confirm the, the 401k, obviously when you have a 401k, your, your employer, I'm assuming that came from your previous employer, yep. right? All right. So then when you left the employer, you keep your 401k. So the idea being you put money in before tax, correct? Yep. Then that money's in there. Now, if normally if you were to take that money out, you would have to pay early 
withdrawal penalties. Yep. And then pay taxes as well. So you're kind of Mm -hmm. double hit with penalties saying, Hey, don't do that. Right. So what you did is you rolled it into an I, a self-directed IRA. Uh, And obviously you're not like a CPA, so we don't need to go deep into this, but like, were, do you remember what that cost or like, was that a, a, no penalties to do that, right? No, there's no penalties to do that. The fees are minimal. I, I think at the time I paid 500 bucks to do it. I know that there's some custodians out there that are doing like $250 rollout promotions right now. So you could roll the, you could roll those monies out, pay 250 bucks, somewhere between that and the 500, I guess I paid. And then there's a monthly maintenance fee based on account value. But yeah, uh, no tax penalty with it. Like you said, we're not CPAs, obviously. So, so whoever wants to do this makes sense to go and consult your CPA yeah. before you go and do this because the tax implications could be pretty severe if you don't do it right. Uh, but the other thing I'll say too is when you roll it out and you go into a self-directed IRA, I mean, this gets kind of kind of in the weeds, but if you want to self-direct your IRA, truly self-direct it, you want checkbook control. So you would ultimately open an LLC within the IRA. And that's what that's what I did. Interesting. So it, it, yeah, it, gets a, it can get a little complex, which is why obviously you want to work with a good custodian and make sure that your CPA is on board. Also, I, I love it. I think that, that you know, that's a creative way to take control of this money that a lot of people just kind of passively allow to not have an impact on their lives and get started in real estate with this. Okay, so you had this money in the 401k. We understand that was a great summary of how you were able to then harness it. Can you walk us through that first deal and how you found it, what the numbers were, how that was able to launch your business that you're currently at well underway with? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been a couple of years, but, uh, memory serves me. We, we picked it up for two, two ninety two. I put in about 80 in repairs. It was, uh, mostly cosmetics. It needed a kitchen, two bathrooms, did some siding repair, finished the basement and we got it. We got out of it at four. We were listed at four ninety nine. We wound up getting five eighteen, if wow. I remember the numbers right. So it was a great first deal. I found it. Actually, a broker brought it to me, and I bought it. Um, I saw it, offered on it, and closed within a couple of weeks. Just saw it. First guy, first guy in there uh, stepped up right away. Paid him exactly what they were asking. Went in there, made a lot of mistakes, learned a ton managed to rein in a lot of expenses by doing most of the work myself, uh, which I feel like is probably the way everybody should start. I know that's a lot of times people will suggest investing is about writing and cashing checks, but I'm a firm believer that you got to kind of do everything once yourself so you could see how long it should take and how much it should cost before we start subbing it out. And and that's exactly what I did on that one. I want to say we were there for maybe six months or so. So it, it was a good deal. It was a quick deal. I more than doubled my money. And that's the one that got the ball rolling. That's fantastic. So can you, I have a few questions in there. First of all, I love the idea of doing everything once yourself. There is a lot of debate in the real estate community over this. We've had people on the podcast saying there's no way you should do things yourself mm-hmm. and other people who, like you. And, and like I did a lot of my own work myself. And now I know exactly what it takes to change a water heater or to, to replace a roof. I know what that is like. In fact, I'm debating with a, or working with a contractor right now who wants to charge me like way more than I think you should for a simple roof. And I'm like, dude, this is going to take you two days. Cause I've, I've mm-hmm. done roofs this size before on my own. And I, you know, so like, I think there's value in that. So I think that's interesting. You say that. Yeah, cool. absolutely. I think uh, that, and that lesson, I mean, in the food service business, you almost have to do that. And in any business, I guess you go in blind, you, you don't know what you don't know. So yep. a guy might tell you it's going to take him X number of days and this many man hours, but until you've done it and you see what you can do and how long it takes you and how much it costs you, how are you in a position to give a guy a job like that? Yeah. You know, how, 
So I agree. And this is where like, I think a lot of people get mixed up because when you do the first, when you do things the first time yourself, it always takes way longer. You know, I don't know if this, this experience for me was I would start a simple project, a simple plumbing project. I would go to Home Depot. I would come back. I would not have some parts. I go back and the whole thing would take me eight hours and I would take an experienced guy one or two hours. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I can do that, like Brandon just mentioned, I think enables me to avoid a lot of expenses in other scenarios, know when I'm getting ripped off, know when I'm getting a good deal and just manage the whole process more effectively. What would you say to that if you were investing back in your financial services day passively on the side, however? Would you still would you still have that mindset of that, hey, you should do it yourself? Or would you have a different perspective on that? Well, I think I think my investors appreciate the fact that I did do all that stuff myself and that at any given time I have the ability to do it should I absolutely need to. At this point, it makes absolutely no sense for me to swing hammers. It just doesn't. It's not the highest and best use of my time. But I know that there's a comfort level with my investors that if for whatever reason someone walks off a job, they know I have, I have the ability to step in. You know, now we'd find another sub to step in. But I think that puts the passive investor at ease, knowing you know if something goes sideways, this guy's going to step in and get it done because he knows how to get it done. Yeah, that's you a know, good point. A pass- yeah, and and me as a passive investor in in other people's stuff, that's what I look for. Like if they're first time flippers and they're getting into a deal, you know, just because they're willing to pay me four and fourteen, like I don't want to lend them the money if I think they're going to fall on their face because, you know, I'm not looking to to get the property. I'm looking for them. To, I'm looking to make money passively. Yeah, uh, in that scenario, that makes sense. Makes sense. So let's let's go back to the the financing a little bit. Uh, you mentioned using the four hundred one k for this. Did you have all the cash needed? You just you know two hundred and or 300 and some thousand dollars or was there something else? No. So I had to, I had to go and get hard money, which is where this gets a little more complicated with the IRA taxing with UBIT tax and I forget the acronym for the other. So I had to borrow a portion of it from a hard money lender. Okay. So there's uh, so there's, there's a, I mean, like you said before, we're not CPAs, so you got to go back and, and obviously consult with your guy about that. But no, I didn't have everything I needed, but I modeled it. It was a solid deal. I, uh, if I remember right, I borrowed at two and 12. So two, my very first you, deal. First of all, can you explain what a hard money lender is and then what two and 12 means for somebody who doesn't know? Yeah. So hard money lenders are, I mean, that's where I feel like just about everybody gets started. Friends and family money first. And then after that, you go to a hard money lender who will take the, the property as collateral. They'll take first lien position and they'll lend to you at what are typically pretty aggressive or exorbitant, I should say, rates, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I want to say I got my money at two points and 12% and they were financing 80% of the purchase price and hundred percent of the construction on that deal. Okay. And since my, my terms have improved with my hard money guys, you know, the, they'll let you put less skin in the game, you know, as you develop a proven track record with them. So maybe down the line, you'll do 10% down for the purchase. They'll come in with 90% of the purchase, hundred percent of the construction, and they'll do it at two points and 10% or, you know, yeah. With time, the rates get better, but but that's that's how I feel like everybody needs to get started because you can only unless you have a rich uncle. I mean, I exhausted <laughs> my friends and family money pretty fast at the beginning. Yep. So now to scale to the you know to the level we're at now, it's a necessary evil, I guess. Well, there's there's a really important thing I want to pull out here that a lot of times people think of creative finance like. I mean, the people's first thought is I don't have enough money to flip a house or I don't have enough money to rehab or to buy a rental. Right. And they just stop at that point. And other people think one step further and say, okay, well, I have 
a private money lender who can fund the whole thing. And then they feel like now they've got a thing. But in reality, what most creative finance is, is exactly what you did is it's joining different pieces mm-hmm. of creative finance into one thing, right? So you used a 401k for the down payment, essentially a hard money lender for the rest, right? So you're kind of combining those two things together. And that's how most, almost every creative finance deal I've ever done has been that way has been a combination of things. So yeah. I, I just think that's a cool illustration that you, that you shared there. I feel like a lot of people are frightened by that sort of stuff. It's just uh, maybe because I had the finance background, uh, the creative finance piece, I'm comfortable with it. There's a comfort level around it. But if someone's in a position to do their first deal and the financing is what's holding them up, but they've got a killer deal under contract, they need to, they could just find someone like me. There's, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that have the wealth of knowledge more so than I ever, than I even do that can help you put together the financing. You should never let a good deal go. The good deals are harder to come by than the money is. I'm, I'm a believer in that. That's true. Yeah. And, and if you're looking for hard money lenders to get started, by the way, you know, always tap your network, ask recommendations, but we also have a directory on bigger pockets, a hard money lender yes. directory at biggerpockets.com slash hard money lenders. Yeah. It's actually, I think it's the largest directory of all hard money lenders in the country. Yeah, we've got hundreds, yeah, maybe hundreds. almost a thousand. Yeah. It's them. crazy. So yeah. Um, hard money is expensive, but I remember like the realization that I had. So this is back when I was like 21 and I was getting into flipping houses and I didn't have any money. And I read this in a book about hard money lenders and they were talking about how they can be crazy expensive, like 12, 13, 14% interest. And then these points and a point is, is like a fee. That's like 1% of the price, right? If I borrow hundred grand, one point is a thousand dollars. And I remember reading this and going, that's insane. Like I could never afford to pay that. Those guys are ripping people. But then right after in that book, it said, but don't worry about it. Cause if you just factor the, that expense into your numbers and then make your offer based on having to pay that, then you're, you know, it's just, it's part of the deal. It's the cost of doing business. And all of a sudden like that clicked in. My, I still remember that day it clicked in my head and I was like, oh, well that, that makes a hundred percent sense. Like who cares? Like, so yeah, don't yeah. think of it so much as like, well, that's way more expensive than what a bank would be. Yeah, that, that's true. But there are really nice benefits to hard money lenders if you can afford them. So mm-hmm. very cool. So I love that. I love the story. Your first flip. But let's go jump. I like to jump. I always like to start with people's first deal and then jump to the very end. How many total deals have you done now? And then we'll work backwards from there. Probably about 20 at this point. Wow. Okay. So 20, are they all flips? Any rentals in there? No, all flips, primarily all at a levels. At a level. What do you mean by that? I mean, is so it our, just like it sounds like? You're- yeah. Yeah. So our niche and where uh, we operate out of primarily Union County here in New Jersey and what we find in the better half of this county, especially there's a lot of dated capes and ranches that make for good at a level candidates where you, where you go in, you pop the top off and you essentially force appreciation by doubling the square footage and putting a box on top of a box. Simplify it. Obviously the construction piece of that is a little more cumbersome, but I love the model and it's a sen- it's, it's a primarily what we do. I'd say we've done a couple of cosmetic rehabs in my first one and maybe two or three since, but most otherwise all we do is, uh, is add a levels and we've done a couple of new constructions. Okay. So can, can you walk us through your analysis of these deals? How do you determine which properties are really good candidates for yeah, add a level? And then, you know, what's the, how do you kind of estimate your spread on these mm-hmm. pop tops? The houses that haven't been touched in the longest are the best candidates. We're looking for something from the fifties and sixties that is unkept that knows probably had one or two owners and still got the shag carpet, big capes and ranches are, they make for the best data levels because it's easy to double the square footage on those houses and really force appreciation because here a new, a brand new colonial is probably the most sought after product for first time home buyers. And with rates where there are, there's just so much demand and so little supply. Yeah. So 
we, we find the capes, we, or the ranches, we, we salvage the, the foundation. And then everything from there up is essentially brand new, new mechanicals, new frame, uh, everything, everything's new. So you're selling a new house. You can't technically call it new because it's sitting on an old foundation. But as far as the buyers are concerned and they walk in, it's a new home. The mechanicals are brand new. They know they have nothing to worry about. And we sell them with warranties on top of that. So just an added level of comfort for the buyers. So can you walk us through an example of a recent one of these that you've done? Um, just start to finish how you found it, what you did, what you sold it for, kind of just like a bread and butter of your business. So that's changed too. What we, what we realized was you can do them at here in my market, you can pick them up in the 150 to 200 range, or you can pick them up in 450 to 500 range, depending at what, depending on the town you're in. So obviously you don't want to be putting more money to work to make the same spread unless you're in a town where you can really force appreciation and doing an add a level on a, on a big ranch. For example, the biggest one we've done, we paid 455 for, we dropped 375 into it, I believe, did a massive addition out the back and an add a level. So really double the square footage plus the addition. And we got out of that one at 1.2. It was a massive deal, but you can do something smaller. For example, buy at 175, do a small at a level, spend maybe 155, 160, sell it in the 450s. So that spreads great too. And you're not putting as much money in play. So it's just really depending on where, where the deal is. And, and we're trying to put out product at a bunch of different price points. So for us, like 500, 750, and a million are typically price points that I've developed spec sheets for. So I build to those price points, the finishes, just the level, the, the quality of the craftsmanship's there, no matter what price point we're at, but the level of the finishes obviously changes. So it, it's trying to find a sweet spot in each, in each town, I guess is, is what I'd, uh, is what I'd say drives, drives our model. How do you know an area is good for this type of thing? Like when I think of my local area, I feel like that just wouldn't work in my area because we're a cheaper price. Like, I mean, like max house is going to be 250 grand. Um, but I could be wrong. And there's also massive houses all around. Is that true or can you correct me on that? Well, what, what we're looking for, so there's in, in the county where we operate primarily, there's 23 towns. We're in the better half. So there's 13 towns in my county where I think this model makes sense. What I guess I look for at the beginning, now I'm comfortable in those towns, comfortable enough to know if it makes sense or not. But I guess what I was looking for at the beginning is what are the fully renovated colonials going for, the big ones, or new construction? Because our product's going to be somewhere in between there. So we're going to take the old dated Cape Ranch. We're going to blow it up. We're going to have a fully renovated uh, colonial at the end. So that's what I was comping out to. And I was looking at where those were trading and figuring out if working back from there, because I'm going to get that new buy premium, sort of, because it's not new construction, but working back from there, is there room to buy this dated Cape, pop the top off, do all the work, list it, sell it, pay your hard money, pay everything back. And then ultimately, is there a six figure profit in it? That's our model. We try and model in six figures on every deal. Six. That's so, awesome. I, I don't know. Hit it, obviously, but <laughs> yeah, that's a good goal to hit every time. Try to aim for the six figures. Are you still financing these deals in relatively similar manner to your first deal? Or do you have partners or syndications now? Or how's that, how's that working? So it's, it's all over the map now. We've got private money. We've got private money lenders that have come in and funded an entire project, purchase, construction, everything. And we're just doing the project and paying them debt. We've got JVs with equity partners who fund everything and we manage the construction. We're still doing hard money on some of the bigger stuff, like the one I, the 1.2 house, obviously we didn't have the cash to lay out for that size project. 
Uh, we've also got some of our own cash in projects now where we'll buy the project outright and then go to a local community bank and refi out. So they'll give us back 65% of the purchase and 100% of construction at prime plus one. That's that's a great scenario for us. We tie up two, 250 of our cash to buy the project, but then the construction is funded at five uh, with no points, which is five and a quarter, which is great. So it's all over the map. It's whatever makes sense for the deal at the time, whatever we can get access to. And a lot of stuff, I'm not the only guy in my market doing this. There's probably a handful of guys looking at the same stuff and we're bumping into each other at these houses when we're going there to look. Sometimes not buying as many of them in competition anymore, but when you're doing that, you don't have time to sit around and figure out what's the cheapest cost of capital. You got to get the capital that you need to get so you can get the deal bought. Yeah, that's a good point. What's the average timeline on these projects? How long does it take you to add a level to a, a rancher in these areas? If it were strictly the construction piece of the project, I, I could tell you it'd be four months. I know that piece I have down. What I don't control a lot of times is is the town and how many people put permits, put applications in with them on the front end. We've had towns hold us up for you know as little as two weeks, but as long as two months. So that's kind of an unknown. Well, now that we've done stuff in, in all the towns we operate in, I have a better understanding of how long it'll take to get these things approved. So on the front end, we have that to deal with. Also, this time of year, for example, we just picked up uh, seven projects in October. So we're looking to rip the roof off six of those seven houses. And the weather here is about to start turning. It's 39 degrees here today. And we're going to start seeing snow sometime in the near future. So we could wind up getting pushed out a month, depending on what kind of winter we have. Here, we've been lucky. The last two years were super mild, but... If we have a bad winter, you got snow in your house. I've literally had to shovel snow out of the inside of my houses. So, oh, so wow. that, that could push you out. You know, you could get, you could bur- get burned for a week or two or a month even with the snow. And then on the, on the tail end, our product typically doesn't sit. We're pre-selling, I'd say probably half our stuff. And the stuff that we're not, we're listing and moving it in about 30 days. The longest we've sat on anything was 90 days. And that was that, uh, that big project I mentioned, that 1.2 house. So stuff over a million bucks typically does sit here for for a good bit, but our stuff, I'm just, I think we build a really great product. And if people are out looking at stuff at similar price points, I think our stuff stands out. That's fantastic. That's just crazy. I, I love the, I love, I'd never even heard of the idea of like adding a level or popping the top or whatever, you know, until like a year ago when I don't think it was Anson Young or maybe two years ago, I think was telling me about doing it. And I'm like, that's such a cool idea, but like, it just doesn't make sense. And I don't think in my market, so I never thought about it, but you know, if you can add a ton of value by doing that. So what, what about foundation issue? I mean, like, I feel like if you, if they built back 80 years ago, 60 years ago, whatever, a house, and it was planned on being a single level and they built the foundation for a single level, can you just add a level or do you have to go and reinforce foundation issues? No, they're, they were actually built better than, than they are now. Okay. We find that <laughs> the foundations are, are solid. Uh, that that's the one thing. So we don't buy flood, we don't buy oil tanks, and we don't buy bad foundations because our model is is at a level. So we obviously don't be, want to be dealing with water issues, intrusion issues, and uh, and the foundation piece. We just make sure it's good. At this point, I've walked enough of them where I'm comfortable when I look at it, uh, whether or not it's going to sustain the load of the new second floor. Uh, there's still one, you know, every fourth or fifth house, maybe I'll have my mason come out with me and give it a look. And then the engineer, the architect will work with his, with the engineering partner to give us a letter. Cause a lot of times certain towns will want to see a letter saying that there's somebody who's comfortable, an engineer who's formally trained in this sort of stuff is comfortable that this existing foundation is going to support the load of the, of the new second floor. But yeah, we, we always check the foundation and if, and if it looks solid, we haven't had an issue yet. We make sure uh, before we go in that it's good. So, cool. so you've, you just mentioned a couple guys that aren't 
necessarily typically part of the you know your your casual investors team here your architect your mason your engineer can you can you walk us through all the folks that you know i mean it might be a long list but can you walk us through the folks that mm-hmm. are in, in really important to your business and making sure that you avoid these kinds of risks and successfully complete these projects yeah well that's that's why i'm especially fond of of this niche because there's some barriers to entry with this model a lot of the guys that have the construction savvy and are willing to undertake a project like this can't fundraise for it because it's it's cash intensive. The guys that are on the sidelines and have got the money don't necessarily have that construction savvy. So a project like this might spook some spook some guys, right? So what I like about it is that there's there's those barriers to entry. And for us, I got comfortable with the construction piece up front and having the right partners in place is huge. So if if I do need a second set of eyes on something and I don't have much time, I can call the mason and he can meet me at the house and we can quickly figure out, okay, is this a concern or not? And if not, I can comfortably write an offer. Uh, so I understand that a lot of times, like the cosmetic rehabs, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a need for a mason. Architecturals are minimal in those kinds of scenarios. And the architect partnering with the engineer, that, that's more on their end. I've got an engineer buddy of mine that I could always call if I absolutely need something. But I, I kind of lean on my architect to make sure that he's put that stuff in front of his engineering partner because they've all got one. And making sure that those guys are, are comfortable with what we're going to submit and ultimately build. But from there... I mean, all the same trades step in. Uh, we don't hire GCs. We, we project manage our own stuff. So we run the subs. Uh, so we bring in the framer to shore up everything, to put the second floor on, to re-roof, to sheath. And then trades come in, they do their thing. And then all along the line, just like anybody else would, unless you're, GC, unless you're hiring a GC to run your entire project, you're going to you're gonna need to call on all these subs anyway. So are you, are you personally like you gave doing the project management then, or do you have a project manager that works for you? No. I, so now I have a project manager in-house that runs the jobs. Okay. I did at first, first two years or so, I would say I was running all my own projects at capacity. I think we were doing, I might've had eight running at once. And I felt like that's where my limit was running that yeah. many projects with that many moving parts at any given time. The way I look at it, you can have, you can have nine subs you're juggling. You probably got three guys working on whatever, three tradesmen finishing up something, looking to get paid, looking to close out their part of it. You probably got three coming in next, right? Or three on site that are starting their part. So six subs at any given time across multiple projects. So that's when, that's when it gets tough to juggle. And that's where I feel like scaling this model becomes a challenge. It's not that it can't be done. You just got to put the right people in place to manage those roles. That makes a lot of sense. So how do you find these contractors that you're working with? Do you have any good tips or strategies for, yeah. and, and not just finding them, but also vetting them, make sure that they're good. Mm-hmm. Well, so where our office is located is fortunately where a lot of the supply houses are. So a lot of people say, go to Home Depot and see who's at Home Depot early and take down the names and numbers on all the vans. So I'm a believer that the Home Depot contractor, that GC is not the guy that's going to do this, the level of work that we're looking to get done. So we're looking for tradesmen that buy at supply houses. So we build relationships. So we've in-house some of our own supplies. So we formed Silva Supply Company and we've in-house things like vanities and tubs and doorknobs and millwork and stuff like that. So what we typically do is we we call the sales reps at the supply houses and they'll provide you with their list of preferred vendors. So buy your paints directly from Benjamin Moore and call the Benjamin Moore sales rep and ask him who are his three preferred painting contractors in a specific area. And that's how, that's how you build a solid team. 
I think the Home Depot model, it works for cosmetics. And if you want to put a GC in there to just do a renovation, that's one thing. But if you're trying to frame a whole house, that's, that's a whole different scenario. Yeah. And that that's that strategy, I think, makes a ton of sense for these high end properties that you're doing. You're trying to sell. You're trying to add a ton of value in a short amount of time and create a beautiful home for sale. Right. Maybe some rental property investors, maybe Brandon wouldn't wouldn't need that kind of level of contractor for his thirty thousand dollar single family home. Is that is that correct or am I yeah. assuming too much yeah. there? No, no, that that absolutely makes sense. I think there's in in. The handful of cosmetic rehabs that, that I have done, looking back on them now, I don't think it made sense for us to use our resources and project manage those. I think in those scenarios, it might have made more sense to find a GC who can wear four, five, six hats and be on site every day, yeah. as opposed to waiting for my tradesmen who are framing a 2,800 square foot house to finish up framing there so you can come put in an LVL so you can open up a kitchen. Yep. You know, the, so in those scenarios, absolutely, it does not make sense. Okay. So you mentioned Silva Supply Company. You opened a supply. Tell us about that because I've not heard anybody doing that. Yes. Yeah, so we, we realized we were spending so much money on, on materials that if I'm working direct with some of the accounts, you're not always going to be able to get open dealer accounts with a lot of manufacturers. But when I was at IBS in Orlando, which is a, a killer conference, the International Builder Show in Orlando, it's coming I, up. I've been told I need to go to that. Darren Sager keeps uh, bugging me to go to that every year. Awesome. Yeah. He's just so, yeah, he and I were talking, we're, we're both going oh, nice. uh, this year. It's, uh, yeah. So when I was out there, I realized that if you build rapport, you build relationships with manufacturers, you can actually buy direct from them depending on volume. So, so we're a dealer for a kitchen cabinet line. Uh, so I buy my kitchen cabinets, uh, at 50 cents on the dollar direct from the manufacturer, but I have to do 50 K a year with them. So there's, there's kind of a rub there, but it makes sense for me to do that kind of volume. So Silva Supply Company buys direct for ourselves, but we'll also buy direct for some of our builder buddies locally just to hit our quota. Uh, so it, it, it's, a, it's kind of a workaround. It saves, us, it saves us a good bit of money. I mean, the cabinets alone are, are probably, uh, I don't even know what they probably generate us in, in, in savings a year, but we're doing it with tubs and doorknobs and a couple other things. And I'm looking to do it with some more things even. And again, obviously this is a scaling thing and I've got an office manager in-house that's responsible for managing these relationships, paying these invoices, getting terms with these guys, stuff like that. That's awesome. You were the one telling me the story about the bathtubs a while back, weren't you? Like, yeah. I just realized just now that you and I went to dinner together and like, I totally forgot we were at dinner together. I don't know. You, you look totally different than I feel like you did then. I don't know. You got more hair or something. I don't know. Maybe less. <laughs> Maybe less. Yeah, that, anyway. The tubs, yeah. that, the, the tubs thing is a cool story because that came from IBS. And when I was last year, when I went to the IBS uh, show, I asked around if any of my local builder buddies were going and everybody said no. And when everybody said no, I said, then I have to go. There's got to be something there. If nobody else is doing it, I want to give it a shot. And I went and I formed a relationship with a, a Chinese tub manufacturer and a month or two later, re-engaged and ordered the tubs. I ordered a container of bathtubs from China and I paid probably <laughs> a third of what they cost here for 60 bathtubs. And we won't use all 60 this year, but I'll use 10 or 12 myself. And I've sold off a bunch to a couple of builder buddies locally. And it just, it just makes sense at scale. This obviously doesn't make sense for two or three flips a year, but if you're trying to build something and do a dozen or so a year and, and more, then stuff like this absolutely makes sense. That's fascinating. 
I love it. It's not, it's not, I mean, it sounds to me like you have an operation that you're, you have your bread and butter, what you're comfortable with in terms of these pop tops at a levels, but you're adding on opportunistically in every direction that you can to save money and build that business. And if you have another great little stream, that's awesome. You know, you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll take it and, and move along with it and, and just do good business. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. One question I had that I don't think we covered related to your business overall, though, was how are you finding these deals in general? Uh, of the market. Are you, are you these MLS deals? Do you have a wholesaler or how's that working? So we, we started doing a lot of our own direct mail stuff. I'd say the first year plus it was, it was just bidding in comp with other guys on MLS stuff. 
maybe a couple that were brought to us directly. Once you start proving yourself as a, as a legitimate buyer, and if, if you're a buyer for this specific product, you, you buy dated capes and ranches in the better half of Union County, cash, if they're, if they're a fit for your model and, and you say, hey, you buy them and you do what you say, you say what you do, I find that a lot of people will come to you first. So we're getting shown a lot of stuff that we're not even bidding in competition. Wholesalers will get these contracts and they'll just come to us and we'll take a look at it and make an offer. We've got some relationships with some brokers that do the same because you give them the listing on the back end. So there's, there's that synergy there. And like I said, we, we've just started to really ramp up our direct mail stuff. Uh, I do a lot of stuff on social. So my presence on social media kind of helps just kind of builds your, your social authority, your social currency kind of positions you as an authority in the space and a guy that's out there actually doing stuff and taking action. And I find that a lot of people see that and then come to us with opportunities uh, before they go elsewhere. Because if, if it's, people want easy at the end of the day, they want easy. So if they're like, Gabe's the guy, he says he buys stuff and he buys it. Why would I go call anybody else? I just call him and be done with it. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So maybe one of the last couple questions here before we wrap up, um, Going back to that first flip, you know, so we know where you are today and how you're doing this at volume and scale. Going back to that first flip, however, you know, it sounds like you netted between 100 and 150K in profit when it was all said and done. How did you parlay that into the next few deals? I went to, well, with that one, it wasn't enough to, to do what I'm doing now. So it was, it was hard money. It was just prove to those guys that you're a good operator and that they can trust you to, to, to finish out a project. And then when you go back to them to raise capital for another deal, if you model the deal well and it's a legitimate deal and they're comfort and they're comfortable with the numbers, I didn't have a problem borrowing from them because that's the business they're in. That's the other thing about hard money. As much as the terms, you know, might suck, those guys, they have a comfort level around that. Like they're risk takers. That's essentially what they do. It's hard to get grandma and grandpa to wrap their heads around and add a level. Yeah. Even if they got 250K in the bank, you know, and, and I found that we've had weeks where we've had private money lenders fade on $500,000 worth of commitments just ahead of a closing. Like that stuff's super stressful. That's, that can break you, you know? So I like the hard money guys for the fact, for the simple fact that they're, they're, they're comfortable with the level of risk that they're taking on. And if you're a good operator and you perform, they're there for you. And they were for me. And, and I've built a great relationship with, with my guys and we've been working together for a couple of years and I have, you know, them to thank for helping me scale the way I did. And then that's probably how I got from one to, to three to six to now 12. We've been doubling year over year pretty much. That might be the best like, like explanation of why to use a hard money lender. I've heard that's, that's yeah. good. <laughs> there's, a, there's a big saying on bigger pockets. Uh, I, I'm going to butcher it here, but it's like, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, yeah. try hiring an amateur. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like, it seems like that you're applying that kind of concept to this. Like, if you think that, you know, uh, hard money is expensive, wait till you try to raise money from a private individual who might back out on you and, yeah. When deal. they fade on you at the, at the 11th hour and you've got a closing in two days and you were counting on these commitments and these guys just, uh, I never asked my wife and, and she doesn't want to do it. Or yep. yeah, I've decided uh, I'm not going to take the money out or I don't want to get that home equity line or wh whatever the case was. There's always some, some excuse, but yeah, that saying definitely applies in that scenario. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. awesome. All right. So what, what does your day-to-day -day look like right now? Like, what do you do when you get to the office? When do you show up there? Mm -hmm. How long do you work and what do you do all day? I'm a, I'm a morning person. So I typically try and be up by five 30. My goal in the morning after I do my routine, get myself ready to rock and roll is to get on email early. I try and, I try and touch emails three times a day. So first thing in the morning, I try and 
blast emails ahead of everybody else getting to the office. So that way, you know, the ball's in their court when they log in. I'm at the office probably mid-morning straight through till lunch. I spend that time planning out, doing our marketing campaigns, talking to my office manager, reviewing financials, figuring out where we're at with funding for the projects that we're acquiring. Midday, I'll hit emails again, see what's come back that needs a response. And then I head out to the field. My afternoons are spent in the field, checking on projects. My project manager, if he needs anything, if anything's gone sideways on a deal, which with this many deals, there's always something. So I'll spend my afternoons doing that. And then I'll, I'll hit up email one last time uh, and call it a day. Uh, that's an ideal day. I mean, they don't all look like that. There's a lot of times where whatever you got working in the office in the morning consumes you trying to figure out how to launch a new marketing campaign shouldn't be a two or three hour ordeal, but sometimes it is. And uh, same thing in the field. I mean, Mason is doing work and find something, uncover something that you weren't anticipating. Now you got to make two, three, four phone calls, figure out how are we going to adjust on the fly to keep this thing moving. So I feel like uh, you can never really have a set routine. I try to just because for mental sanity, it's good, but it, no, all the, the days are all different, I guess. Makes sense. Awesome. Makes sense. Cool. All right. Well, I guess last question here yeah. before we move on to the, the fire round. Um, you want to take it? What's what's your goal going forward as you move along with your your business here? So we're trying. My goal is to is to scale this thing into a fifty million dollar company. So I want to be a fully integrated real estate investment company. We're already we already find fund fix and flip deals. Uh, we are doing our first wholesale. Probably another one in the pipeline. Silva Supply Company is small. It's just something I use for our business and kind of side hustling with some of my other builder buddies. We are building out an online brand too, positioning ourselves as an authority, trying to build social currency. Uh, so I, I can start helping other guys do what we're doing here in their markets. I think there's opportunities, not everywhere, but in certain places. And I think if you show people that it's, it can be systematized, it can be scalable, uh, I think there's opportunity out there. So we're doing a, a lot of different things, wearing a lot of different hats. It's just my personality type. I don't always, I don't suggest that for everybody, but for me, that's, that's what works. And that's how, that's the fastest path to the dollar, I think is building that six legged stool, right. And getting those different revenue streams coming in. Don't just be a one trick pony, have your bread and butter, do those, do those out of levels, but wholesale, do some new construction, do a custom build. Uh, sell bathtubs. <laughs> I love that. So is that, is that going to be 50 million in revenue on an annual basis? Is that your goal? Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to, t well, shooting for the stars, landing on the moon kind of thing. I mean, we tried to do 10 million this year is our third year out and we won't do it, but it was, uh, it was a good target and we'll come close enough that I'll feel good with what we did. I heard this, I heard this great quote recently about that. It was like, what was it? it the, the purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. The person of the goal is to become the person you become while trying to hit the goal. And I probably butchered that, yeah. but you know, like by setting big goals and if, if, like, it's not about the number, it's about who you are and who you become. So, yeah, absolutely. I love it. Cool. All right. Well, Hey, let's shift gears here real quick and head over to the world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, let's get to the fire round. Number one, these questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, of course, and we're firing them at you to see how you'd respond. Number one, would you contribute still to a 401k or not now that you're in real estate? And you can take this both from, from you personally and somebody who has a job. Uh, should they continue if they're already in real estate? Keep putting money in there. 
No, I'm a firm believer in the value of the self-directed IRA uh, for us as real estate investors. If nothing else, you can lend out of your self-directed IRA back and forth to other investors. Yeah. So if I've got a hundred and you've got a hundred and we're both struggling to find money, you lend to me on my projects. I lend to you on yours and that money grows, pays us a consistent 10, 12, whatever we agree to. 401ks are limited. I, I want the ability to invest in what I want to invest in. Cool. Scott, and awesome. you're, you're a big finance guy. Do you want to answer that as well? What do you think? Well, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think that uh, one consideration also is if you're working a job, you could contribute to the 401k while you're working. And then once you leave, you could then roll that over into a self-directed IRA, just like Gabe did here. Um, Especially so that, if there's like would, a matching program and you get free money, you might as well oh, Always it. take the free money. Yeah. I forgot to say that. <laughs> yeah. Always take free money. There you go. Cool. All right. Number two. All right. I'm going to go with, what did you do wrong on your first flip? Now you mentioned that you made some mistakes, but can you kind of go into a little bit of depth on maybe some of those mistakes that you made on that, on that first one? I'd say that the mistakes you make are, it, it's not knowing what you don't know. I mean, at the time, I don't know why I didn't think to YouTube. Like if you're going to be doing your own stuff, YouTube, like, you can figure out how to do open heart surgery on YouTube. There's literally <laughs> everything there. So I think I was trying to figure out how to do things without necessarily knowing what the proper process was. And for me to do that, how long does it take? How much does it cost model and, and do it myself and learn? That wasn't the most efficient way. I, we weren't there terribly long, but I know I should have been there. I shouldn't have been there the six months. So I'd say what I probably did was wasted too much time doing things that could have been done faster. Not to say that I shouldn't have been the one doing them. I just should have done some more research and figured out what exactly it was that I needed to get done before I sat there and spun my wheels. That makes sense. By the way, I just went and searched YouTube and sure enough, you can figure out how to do open heart surgery on YouTube. So I I wouldn't recommend it, but you know. All right, next question. Uh, I'm closing my first flip house in the Houston area on Thursday. It's a 3-2 in a pretty nice area, standard mid-range community built in the late 70s. ARV, 175. It's a little bit lower end than what you're working on or at least like lower price point. I work for a flooring company and I can get the material and labor myself, but I'm not sure if I should use a mid-range vinyl plank for around a buck a square foot or waterproof click product with like a foam backing that's three times as much. What would you do? Uh, At that price point, I would go with the cheaper product. I just don't think in this market, I know the 175 buyer wouldn't notice the difference. So I wouldn't spend three times on the material for something like that. All right. All right. Question number four. Hey, I was wondering what people's thoughts were on flipping houses under one LLC. I know in rentals, most people or many people set up a separate LLC for each property to minimize liability. But for flipping houses, since it's so short term, would it be okay to use one LLC? What What's the entity structure? That, and obviously you're not a CPA. We know that. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the way we do it is the uh, Silva Group is an S Corp that owns individual project specific LLCs. We do that for liability reasons and for financing purposes because of different uh, partnership structures and different financing structures. So I can't have all my projects under the same LLCs because I have different JV partnerships on some of them and lenders want lean position on a specific house in a specific LLC. So I can't necessarily blend them, but I don't think you'd want to anyway, from a liability standpoint, every LLC is its own. Every project is its own LLC insured accordingly, structured that way, and then dissolved once the project is complete. So I think it limits liability. And here in New Jersey, especially, like that's a big issue. People are so happy here. So we don't take that chance. All right. Very great cool. answer. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, let's shift gears one last time and head over to the world famous. Famous for. 
All right. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. And uh, we want to hear what you got to say. So number one, Gabe, what is your favorite real estate related book? Uh, this is going to be, <laughs> this is a super generic, but rich dad, poor dad. All right. All right. When did you read it? Was that, do you feel like that was a book that got you into it? Or did you read that later on? Uh, I read it. I read it early on and it was, it was mindset. So that's, that's what, that's what it did for me. I think more so than anything else, it didn't matter what the product was. I've always been kind of a, a business guy, regardless. I think this was always in my blood. It was just figuring out where to focus those energies and efforts. And when I saw that, when I read that and learned, listen, if you're the master of your own destiny, real estate's the way to go. And, and so I'd say that, yeah, that's probably my, my favorite real estate related book. That's cool. You know what I always say about Rich Dad Poor Dad is that like that book, it put words to what like my soul was like groaning for, you know, like I knew there was mm-hmm. something that I wanted and like, I didn't know what it was, but it was like there. And then I read it and I was like, that's it. Like, I don't even have like yeah. to say it. I just give people the book. I'm like, this is what's on my mind. Like, that's mm-hmm. what it did for me. It just, it put that into words, what I knew was true. So anyway, cool. All right, Scott. Since, since Rich Dad Poor Dad is kind of like a business book as well, I'm going to give you a choice on the second question here. You can either Ooh. tell us what your favorite business book is, or you can give us a resource that you regularly read up on that helps mm. you with your business. I'll go, I'll go the book route because I think there's, there's two books that are critical that every entrepreneur needs to have read. And they've probably all been said dozens and dozens of times on the podcast, but the E-Myth yep. uh, for sure. And well, I'm blanking. Oh, Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Yep. How did I almost forget William that Hill. <laughs> So those two <laughs> books are, are critical. I think Think and Grow Rich is just big on, on, on the millionaire mindset, just getting your head right. And the E-Myth is more tactical. It's how you, I mean, the systems piece of it, I geek out on systems and it's the only reason in three years we've gone from doing one cosmetic rehab to doing 12 this year. That doesn't happen by chance. That happens because you take a systematic approach to everything you do, um, like the do everything once, you know, how much it costs, how long it should take. Well, the other step behind that is document it. So everything we do, we document, we have processes for everything. And I got that from Rich, uh, from uh, the E-Myth. I had that mindset and uh, how to look at things. Just don't be a technician, be an owner, not an operator and have that in the back of your mind as you're doing everything, do it, but understand that you can't be doing it forever. If you are, you'll never scale. That's great. Fantastic. All right. Number three, Scott, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? Well, I'm guilty of working entirely too much. So I don't get out much as much as I would like. I think the one thing I do love is food. So I like to cook to get my mind off what's going on with work. I like to travel. And when I do travel, it's always food focused. I could probably afford to have more like entertaining athletic style hobbies. So maybe that'll be my goal in 2018 is to find more balance and take up yoga or something. <laughs> what, do you remember the name of the restaurant you and I went to in, in uh, summit? Uh, the, the office. Okay. The office. Yeah. So if anybody ever is in summit, New Jersey, go to the office and get there. They got three chocolate chip cookies with ice cream, like baked in this little thing. Did you eat that by the way, Gabe, when you were, we were there? No, no, no. Oh, you missed out. It was the <laughs> best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It was so good. And I think I had it after you left, but man, it was so good. I actually had it four times that week. We went like four different occasions to the, to the office and I had it every That's time. That's what Brandon remembers from that dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. I don't remember anything else. I remember the cookies and ice cream. It was so good. Anyway. All right. The office. That's my little plug for them because it was fantastic. All right. Last question for me. Gabe, what do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? I think it's the same thing that sets successful entrepreneurs apart from, from the unsuccessful ones. I think it's grit. 
so in this business and any business, you're getting kicked in the teeth every day. It's just the nature of being an entrepreneur. It's the nature of real estate investing. I think you need to be mentally prepared for that and just know that after you beat that, after you, whatever problems are being thrown at you, you, you figure out how to work through them and move on to the next. Like that's what entrepreneurship is. That's what real estate investing is. So I think it's just great just being able to buckle down and get it done at all costs. I like that. Perfect. Awesome. Where can people find out more about you? Um, I'm on social. I'm pretty active on social. So I'm on all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram. What I think I can do to add the most value to, to listeners is over on my YouTube channel, we've started a docu-series and I've got a videographer with me every day and we're capturing the, the realities of the real estate investment business. We've created a show called The Build and that's what we do. We show people what's going on, what it actually takes. None of that foo-foo guru stuff. It's, you know, what are we doing? We, had a, we, had, we, we have tradesmen walking off the jobs. We have uh, financing falling through. We've got, we're capturing all that stuff so people can see what it really takes to do this and if, and if you're cut out for it or not. So I'm hoping to help a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and real estate investors with that. And that's where I'd, uh, that's where I'd say people can go and find out more about what we're up to. What's your name on like all the social stuff in YouTube? Uh, it's my name, Gabe DeSilva. Okay. If you just Google Gabe DeSilva, YouTube, all that stuff should come up. Nice. I'm going to check that out. Cause I, I love those videos. Like the kind of the following around, seeing the real thing. I love that. So very cool. Very, very cool. Well, Gabe, this is awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today. I learned a ton. This is another one of those shows where I'm like, after I get off the call, I'm going to be like, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go tell my wife <laughs> we're, we're taking the roof off a house and we're going to build yeah. something cool. So anyway, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks guys. All right. We'll see you around. All right. Take care. Ciao. All right. Big thanks to our guest today, Gabe. That was awesome. I, I like, like I said in the show, I'm totally like pumped up. I want to go do a, a add a level or pop top or whatever you want to call it. That's cool. How about you, Scott? Every time I think I'm getting a little better at this whole business thing <laughs> that we're trying to do here. I just like, I, I, then I talked to a guy like Gabe and I'm like, I have so much to learn. I That's just, funny. I need to go back, get back to work and start, start thinking like with systems thinking, go back to the basics and, and just take as advantage of many opportunities as I can. What, yeah. a, what an impressive story. Yeah, very much so. And in fact, I was actually just thinking like, I want to reread the E-Myth now. It's been a while since I read the E-Myth. I'm going to reread that because, you know, Gabe kind of re-spurred that in me. So I actually got it sitting here on my floor because I was sorting through all my, I was sorting through all my real estate books the other day. I have like a hundred books. It's crazy. They're all over my floor working on that. So anyway, well, should we get out of here? I don't know. You want to talk about anything yeah. fun? And you want to like, I don't know, talk about your favorite movies, books, how you're feeling right now? Need a, need a pep talk? No, I'm feeling pretty good. I watched uh, How to Train Your Dragon the other night, which is pretty good, surprisingly. I have so. not seen that. But I, you know what I watched for the first Kinda time? Kind of like Shrek. Is it? Yeah. I've not seen... I've seen Shrek. Of course I've seen Shrek. I actually love Shrek. But um, I saw Moana, which... You know, I never watch like kids' movies anymore, but Moana, the new Disney movie, I don't even know how new it is. But anyway, my little daughter Rosie is obsessed with the song in there. What's it called? Like Heather, what's that song in there? How far I'll go. Yeah, my wife's here. Uh, like that song, like my daughter will listen to it on repeat. She's 18 months old and she'll just listen to it on our Amazon, like Alexa, like a hundred times in a row and get angry every time we turn it off. Like when the song ends, like the final music's fading out, she'll go, ah, 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 until we turn it back on again and then she gets happy. Anyway. Uh, oh, funny. Sarah, I just mentioned, I mentioned Alexa. Now my Alexa's talking to me. Anyway, <laughs> all right. <laughs> What'd you ask? All right. Well, well, let's go ahead and get out of here. <laughs> 
hope everybody enjoyed that. I thought it was really informational. I learned a tremendous amount from Gabe. Um, and yeah, I'm going to probably go check out his YouTube channel at some point. So do it. Check it out. All right, guys. Thanks so much for being a part of our uh, podcast, listening again, and stay tuned for the random six right after the music for biggerpockets.com. My name is Brandon and this is Scott Trench <laughs> signing off. You're listening to bigger pockets radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. It's time for it's time for it's time for the random six. All right, there's one more segment of the show here that we like to throw in the end. This is our random six. There's six random questions to get to know you a little bit better, Gabe. Number one. If you could take a year off, what would you do for the whole year? If you had go, to take a year off? I already know. I go eat my way through Europe. Ooh, nice. <laughs> I go from city to city and just eat my way around the entire continent. <laughs> and come home like 120 pounds heavier. Yep. It'd be totally worth it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. All right. Number two, do you know any magic tricks? No. Someone tried to teach <laughs> me one on Thanksgiving, some, some funky car trick, but no. I... uh they got me. I mean, <laughs> y'all want to learn one right now? I can show you one right now. This is, uh, this is my favorite magic trick in the world. Only people on YouTube are going to be able to see this, but all right, look, check out my thumb. You ready? Ready? Oh, lost my thumb. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, that was great. Uh, wow. I guess I do know that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that one's the best. Um, actually I got one more to show you too. And again, people who are listening to this are not going to get the fun out of this, but pen, this is one of my actually all time favorites. Pen straight. You know, you have actually like seven layers of skin on your hand. You can actually shove a sharp pen through the outer layer and you go down like this. And then it just, it hangs right there for forever. <laughs> and no matter what I do, the pen just hangs right there. And you want to, you want to see the magic trick? All right, yeah. Count the, count the fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a good? You guys are all going to try that today with somebody, aren't you? I'm trying it right now. <laughs> It's the best trick. Give it away, man. I I had to give it away. I've been using that trick for years. (laughs) Well, there's only like nine people still watching this at this point. And uh, if you want to, if you're listening to this and you want to hear it or I want to watch it, go over to biggerpockets.com slash show 258. And uh, there'll be a YouTube thing there at the end of the YouTube video. You should find it. (laughs) All right, moving on. Number uh, three, what historical figure do you want to see in present day? Ben Franklin. He would be a cool uh, guy. Yeah, I hear... Everybody rave about him. I haven't read any of the biographies, autobiographies, but Tim Ferriss, I listen to his podcast a lot and he seems to rave about him. So I wonder if it wouldn't be cool to have lunch with that guy, just pick his brain. That's awesome. I like it. I read uh, his autobiography. I can't remember who wrote it though, but it was pretty good. Mm. So a lot of interesting stuff in there. Nice. All right. Number four, are we <laughs> number four. Who, who would you fire? A poor performer and a great person or a great performer, but a disliked person? Poor performer, good person. I have to pick one or I fire them both. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I'd fire them both. All right. <laughs> All right. That's a good answer. Because you want a good person who's a great performer. Yeah. All right. Smart. All right. What would you name your yacht? Mm. I'm not a big boat guy, but. Well, billionaires I mean, have to have a yacht. And when you become a billionaire, yeah, yeah. you have to have one. So. I would name it, I would name it productivity. Mm, I like it. 
So so you're the kind of guy I think who would have given this question a lot of thought already, um, (laughs) which is what is your spirit animal? (laughs) Spirit animal. (laughs) I wonder. We curse on this podcast. (laughs) It's the, it's the, it's the random six. You can do whatever you want. One that rips shit apart. I don't know. Lion. (laughs) I just get in and rip shit apart. That's my spirit. (laughs) All right. Very cool. All right, Gabe. Thank you so much. We'll see you around. Everybody. Thanks. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.